invite you to take God's word this morning and open it to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, our text this morning is verses 1 to 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. We will read God's word together this morning. I ask that you are able, that you would stand as we do that in reverence for God's word as we read it. John is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and he says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we ask now that you would give us sight, that you would give us ears. Lord, your word speaks truths and realities that we would not find anywhere else. Your word is truth. Your word speaks of marvelous truths. So Father, we pray today as we come now to your word that it would be living and active in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be with us for without you, we are nothing. Father, we pray that your word would lift our eyes to see these marvelous truths from your word, to realize who we are in Christ and to realize the victory that is ours through Jesus Christ and the hope of the life to come. Father, would those things Fill our hearts with joy and worship this morning as we come to your word. It's in the name of our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today we return to 1 John, and as you see, we come to begin this last chapter of this very powerful little book. Throughout this letter... John has been writing to these churches with crystal clarity on how a true Christian believes and acts. We've seen him use the phrase, by this we know, a number of times throughout the letter. 
which shows us as he's writing to these believers, he's speaking corporately to them and he says, listen, by this we know, and then he makes statements of how we know that we are true believers of God. He said, by this we know that we have come to know him, chapter two, verse three. By this we know we may be sure that we are in him, chapter two, verse five. By this we know that he abides in us, chapter 3, verse 24. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, chapter 4, verse 13. And today in chapter 5, verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God. John wants these readers, those, these hearers of his book, to be solidified in their faith. And that same application is true for the church of God throughout the centuries and for us today. There are those that have been members of the church that John is writing to, but who started believing a falsehood about Jesus, the content of who he is and what he came to do. They started believing a lie, something contrary to the truth. It was about his person, his work. And they had left the church and they're seeking to persuade others to leave with them. So John wants these Christians to know by certain tests, we could say, that they are children of God, that they are believing the truth. In the verses before us today, we're going to see the repeated themes of, these, of this book, loving one another, believing God, and obedience to him or keeping his commandments. John wants to encourage these believers and at the end of our passage, in the last two verses, verses four and five, he's going to explain some very important things that are true of the one who has been born again. He wants them to realize they are victorious. They are overcomers. That the victory is theirs through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so these verses today, and this is just the truth with God's word all over the place, speak of realities that we just don't hear throughout the week if we're not looking to God's word. To put it another way, the, God's word speaks of realities that just as we look with our physical eyes in life, you will not come to the correct conclusion about is what, what is truly taking place just in your day-to-day -day lives. And so it takes God's word to speak into our lives so that we see realities that we would otherwise not see. Things about God working in our lives, realities about what it truly means to be a child of God and what, what, what a child of God looks like and the truths of being a child of God, the reality that that brings in our life, that we are victorious. As many times it does not seem that way, but God's word speaks into these, into our lives, the things that we see and tells us realities that are so important. And brothers and sisters, they are so encouraging of who we are in Jesus Christ. So today, as we look at this text, we'll uh, use three main points to help, help us navigate these verses. First off, in verse number one, we're gonna, be, we're gonna see evidences of the new birth. 
That's verse number one. The second point is in verses two to three, evidences of loving one another. And then thirdly, verse four to five, we're going to see results of the new birth. So we're gonna look at evidences of what God has done in our life, evidences of the new birth, evidences of loving one another, and then some results that come from that truth and reality. So uh, we'll begin in verse number one, evidences of the new birth. So John begins verse number one by describing a certain person. It's a person that has received the new birth from God. Namely, there are two evidences mentioned in verse one that one is born of God. First off, they believe that Jesus is the Christ. They believe that Jesus is the Christ. The second thing we'll see in here is they love others who have been born of God. So verse number one, it it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So again, John is describing the actions of a certain person here. If someone is believing in Jesus, what has necessarily happened to them? What is going on? Well, he says they have been born of God. That is a perfect passive verb something that has happened in the past with an ongoing effect. And it's passive, meaning that is something that has been done to us. It's not that we have done it ourselves. So God has caused them, as he's saying, if you're believing in Jesus, God has caused them to be born again. This is speaking about the new birth the birth that only the Holy Spirit of God can give, and it's the work that the Holy Spirit does to us to make us receptive to Jesus, to believe in him. John is saying, if you see someone believing, then you can be sure they have been born of God. It's one of those things, you can't see the new birth with your eyes, you can't see the wind moving and you can't see the spirit moving in someone's life, but you can see the effects of those things. You can see the effects of the wind blowing and you can see the effects of the spirit moving in someone's life. When God moves in a person's life to bring salvation, something happens in their life. They're born again and they begin to live and think differently. They now believe something, they now believe and they're trusting in something, they're believing in Jesus. And you can tell someone who's been born of God because they, as the text says, believe that Jesus is the Christ. They believe a particular truth about Jesus. Oh, that's a loaded phrase right there in this verse. They believe that Jesus is the Christ. It means that Jesus is the anointed of God, that he came to die on the cross for sinful people, that Jesus is the payment for sin, that he is the propitiation, as he says in chapter two. He is the propitiation for our sin. That is, our sins are satisfied. Payment is satisfied, made in full. It is a belief that Jesus is our personal savior that he died on the cross for me, that he took my sin, my punishment, bore my wrath. When one believes like that, that is evidence of being born of God. They believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
that is preached here each and every Sunday, that as we are sinners born in sin, redemption and forgiveness of sins is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's what he has done for us. The death he died in our place because of who he is and the sacrifice he made for sin, that we as sinners can come and believe in him by faith, as we're gonna see later in the verse here, to receive forgiveness of sins. So not only is a proper belief evidence of being of God, but also proper love for others. Secondly here, they love others who have been born of God. The second part of verse one is a little clunky to translate. Literally, it reads like this. And everyone who loves the one who gives birth loves the one who has been born of him. So a little clunky. The ESV here has, and everyone who loves the father. So they're really translating there for us. Literally, everyone who loves the one who gives birth is speaking about the one who gives this new spiritual birth, i.e. God the Father. And so our translations say the Father. John goes at length here to show us that God is the one who gives us the new birth. He goes at length to show us that. If you are believing in Jesus, it is ultimately God's fault. He is the one who has saved you. Instead of just saying something like the Father here in this verse, he refers to God as the one who gives birth. And instead of just saying believers here, he says, whoever has been born of him. You hear all those passive tense verbs being used there, showing us and calling us to realize God is the one who gives birth. He is the one who does it. He's teaching us and showing us again that God is the giver of life. God is the one who saves us. Or as John put it in 419, we love because he first loved us. This should cause us, brothers and sisters, to praise God first and foremost. We praise God because he's the one who's done it. So therefore, we praise him. We glorify his name. We praise him for saving us. We praise him for giving us salvation. I think John also speaks like this to encourage the believers so that they look at their lives and their belief in Jesus and they realize that it is a work of God in their lives. How encouraging is that? To realize that as you believe in Jesus, God has been at work in your life causing you to be born again. That is things that lead us to praise and it's also a point of encouragement in our own lives. It's encouraging to see it in our own lives. It's encouraging to see it in the lives of others. God is at work causing us to be born again because they are trusting in him. And that reality again should have the same effect upon us to cause us to be encouraged. It's God working and moving in our lives. And this folds right into the content of what John is saying in verse number one. The point is clear. If you love the father, you will love his children. If you, you love the one who has given you spiritual birth, you will love the other people God has given spiritual birth to. 
John has hit this theme over and over and over in this book. Just jumping back a couple of verses, chapter four, verse 20. I don't know how one could say it any more clearly. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. That's, that's, that's pretty straightforward. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is one of the quintessential marks of a believer, love for other believers. And what type of love is this exactly? You know, John doesn't necessarily in this letter spell out, he does some, if you see your brother uh, in need and you just wish them well and you don't even help them out, that's not love. That's not what it looks like. Does this type of love that John is referring to, that we love other brothers and sisters in Christ, does it, does it mean uh, uh, just being nice, that we're called to just be nice? You know, you might be wondering in this call to love other brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, he's speaking directly here to brothers and sisters in Christ of this loving one another. That's the aim of it. You see, unbelievers, we don't have to love them. That doesn't, that doesn't matter. Um, this is geared towards just kidding there, right? Do you paying attention? Actually, God's word says we're, we're to love our enemies, right? So, so much is, is said about how we love, but this is specifically given towards believers. I wonder how do personalities tie into this showing of love, godly love for others? Because personalities are different, right? Some people come across as being nice, just kind of naturally, and other people do not. Lots of people maybe are in the middle in there, some between. Some are extroverts, some are in introverts. Some people are rejuvenated by being around other people. Other people are drained by being around people. So what is it exactly that we all, regardless of personality, are called on to display? Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's a very helpful in his commentary and his preaching on 1 John. He was a Welsh Protestant minister in the UK, pastor at Westminster Chapel uh, in London. He died in uh, 1981. I believe he was born in 1899. Um, still, the effects of his ministry uh, are being seen over there, chatting with Adam. They're on their way right now uh, in the plane coming back. But one of the persons from the church that he stayed with uh, there, the grand the parents of that person were under the ministry of Martin Lloyd-Jones for a time uh, there in the UK. So a wonderful ministry that God has used. Here's what he says on this matter of showing Christian love and how it's different than just kind of natural sorts of things. It's a little bit of a lengthy quote, so forgive me for that. But listen to what he says. I think it's helpful. He says, I must be quite sure that my love for the brethren is based upon the love of God and a love for God. I must be able to say quite honestly, I like these people, not in a natural sense, but because I see in them the grace of God. Love for the brethren means love for Christian brother or sister, so that what makes me love these people is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God in them and the love of God working upon them. 
the thing that is in me, I see in them. I am thereby very sure that it is not something elemental, but something that results from having received the life of God into my own soul. Our love for other brothers and sisters in Christ is founded upon our mutual savior and the grace of God at work in our lives. It is there, not foundationally because of personalities or similarities, but because we have a mutual father who has saved us and is working in our lives. That is the foundation of Christian love. It is the work of God in others. As he says again, just to uh, repeat there, he says, so that what makes me love these people is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God in them. So other believers in the church to love them, to love the God who is at work in their lives, right? Because we come into the church, we come to Jesus from all different types of angles in life. Right, all different types and the world kind of aligns itself with uh, you know, interests and similar types of life stages and what you're going through and it kind of links up like that. But the church and coming to Jesus Christ is different or at least it should be. What unites us together and what unites other brothers and sisters in Christ together is what God has done in our lives and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so you have people that come to that from very different walks of life very different experiences that they have faced in life. Different circumstances, different types of people, different geographical positions, all the types of things that we could think of, the lines of dividing that our world has and society has. But as we come to Christ, as we come to the gospel, we are to love one another, not because of those things, but because of the work of God in our lives and in the lives of others. So I just encourage you as you seek to show love and care for others of what that means, that you seek to see the work of God in their lives and praise God for that and seek to love them in their walk with God. Love for one another is evidence of a prior work of God in our lives and so is believing that Jesus is the Christ. Those are two evidences of the new birth that one has been born again. Secondly, in this passage, verse two and three, evidences of loving one another. So just as we've seen there, the evidences of being born again, here we also see evidences that we love one another. In what way do we know that we love one another? How can we see that? What does it look like? Well, he gives two evidences of that in the text here. Again, love of God and keeping his commandments. Love of God is evidence that we love one another is just the flip side of the coin. If we love God, we will love one another. And if we truly are loving one another, then we will be loving God. That is the reasoning here, somewhat circular. But he's just holding it up kind of like a coin and you can come at it from either side of this side or the other side to show the reality of what it looks like. What we see loud and clear is that we cannot divorce love of God and love of others. We've seen that, we see it again in this text. We've seen that truth over and over. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God. So love of God will necessarily show itself in how you treat, how you talk, how you interact with other Christians. 
I once heard a pastor state that if a church member would not stop by and pick up a senior citizen who needed a ride to church, he wasn't sure if they were truly saved. That is kind of getting at the point here. You cannot divorce love for God with how that will show itself out in love for others. You can't separate those two things. So many points of scripture says you wanna know how you love God, you see that expressed in how you treat other people, how you treat other people, how you treat those around you, in particular the other brothers and sisters of Christ, how you treat them that shows the reality of your love for God. In fact, we grow as Christians most when we are caring for others, bearing with others, teaching them lovingly from God's word, praying with others, asking for forgiveness, living in community with one another, and on and on we could go. How can we show the love of God to other believers if we are not living our lives in proximity to other believers? How, how can that happen? Is it enough just on Sunday morning to come and to smile and to be friendly? For some people, that's very easy. For extroverts, you, that might drain you beyond measure, and that's maybe why we need naps on Sunday. I don't know, to come together and to smile and interact with other people. Obviously, it's more than that, isn't it, in our lives? Formally, here at Redeeming Grace, the ways that we seek to stand up a structure for people to uh, be a part of that hopefully gives this being a part of one another's lives. That, we do that through home groups. We do that through encouraging discipleship groups. Those are beginning to kick off here in the next, uh, next month. So we get back in. That's just an opportunity that we have weekly to meet with other brothers and sisters in Christ and to encourage one another, pray for one another, get to know one another, hopefully spark relationships with one another. That's not obviously that you can't, uh, you can only do that through home groups. No, that's not true. You can, you can do that in other ways. If something is prohibiting that from you, there's other things that you can do. But the point is we need to be interacting with others, with other brothers and sisters. And for us to give ourselves over to that, we must be careful because we cannot divorce love for one another with love of God. Secondly, here is keeping God's commandments. As he says in verse number two, he says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. You see, biblically speaking in the New Testament, obedience is not optional in the Christian life. Fruit is not optional. It's not one of those that's just for the super spiritual person. If true faith is there, then true fruit will also be there to one degree or another and we know we're all a work in progress. The flow of John's argument goes like this. There is a way to confirm that we love other fellow believers. It is when we love God in such a way that we actually are obedient to what he commands. Our love for God is expressed, it's seen in our obedience to his instruction. Love of God is seen in our receiving of his word and our seeking to live in obedience to his word. Love of God and obedience. Those things go hand in hand. We see it all throughout the Bible. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 21, it says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He who 
has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. The same truth is again seen all throughout the Bible. We could pick up, there's a bunch of verses. Deuteronomy 10, 12 is an example. It says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, this is the obedience part, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So there, again, we see thrown in there, obedience to God and love for him. So loving of God expresses itself in seeking to do what pleases him, seeking to live in obedience to what his word teaches us. Look at how verse three supports this truth. It says there, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Again, stating that again, he says, and this and his commandments are not burdensome. So love of God and love for one another go hand in hand. Also, love of God and obedience go hand in hand. And keeping and observing God's commandments, he says, are not burdensome. Now, this is speaking, we need to say here, from the perspective of a believer, from the perspective of someone who has been born of God, who has received the new birth. We know that there is no one righteous, that we cannot keep the law of God, God's law kills us, it slays us, it shows us how we have fallen short, and it propels us to run to Jesus who has kept it for us. We know that we are liable to all of God's laws. Even if you break one, let's pretend you're really good and you only broke one. Well, James tells us that that doesn't work either. You broke one, you're liable to them all. It's like throwing a rock at a big window. You hit one portion and it cracks and affects the whole thing. But once God has given us the new birth and we have new spiritual life through his Holy Spirit, we can begin to make progress in our sanctification. We can begin to change. We can begin to grow. We can begin to love God and keep his commandments and follow after him. We can now please God, for apart from him, we could do nothing. With his spirit, though, we can follow in obedience, his commandments to love one another, to forgive one another, to bear with one another. And this is not heavy, as he says. It's not burdensome. Christ has set us free to live in obedience to him. And that freedom is light compared to the heaviness and weight of sin. There is a real joy for believers as they live in obedience to God. There is a real happiness and a contentment that comes in a life lived and given over to please God. It's not a drag. It's not a bore. It's not unpleasant. That's exactly what the world tells us. It's exactly what the world will say. They're not, they're not speaking the truth from God's word. They say, it is a drag. It is unpleasant. It is a burden. But no, it is not burdensome. It's pleasant. It's filled with contentment. Struggles, yes. Ups and downs, yes. But a deep-seated joy because of who Jesus is. So in verse one, we've seen evidences of the new birth. And then we see, secondly, in verse two to three, evidences of loving one another and how that expresses itself of love of God and keeping of his commandments. And lastly here, verse uh, third point, four and five, we see results of this new birth. Verse four is going to give us two results of being born of God. Two things that are true of those who are born of God. And I just pray 
that you would hear these things today and that these things for the one believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, that you would just so be encouraged today by the truths and the realities of verse four and five. No matter what it is you're facing or where you are in life, that you would see that these things are true of you because you are in Christ and that they would encourage you and give you that heavenly perspective to live differently on this earth. First thing that we see, first fact is that they overcome the world. They overcome the world. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Overcomes is a present active tense verb, meaning we are overcoming. Everyone who has been born of God, you see that uh, uh, passive tense there, perfect ongoing uh, uh, accounts and effects, is overcoming the world, is currently overcoming the world in the present. This just isn't speaking about a future overcoming. It means that we're currently overcoming the world, overcoming it because we've been born of God, because we're children of God. Those born of God, what have they overcome? What are they victorious over? It says the world, that we have overcome the world. And the world refers to the world system. It's not referring there to people or the physical world, like you think about the world and you're thinking of uh, uh, the beauties of the world, the trees, um, beautiful mountains that are in other parts of this beautiful nation. You, you think of the water, all these types of things. You think of the world kind of that way. That's not what John is speaking about. Here's a definition of this term, the world. The system of practices and standards associated with secular society. That is without reference to any demands or requirements of God, world system, world's standards. In John's writing, it is the world that is under the control of the evil one. It is the world that lies in darkness and sin. So the world used here is all that which rejects God and God's laws. The system that rejects God's instruction on how to live how to act, how to think, what to believe. The world has to do with everything that is opposed to God. Just think about that reality today. Everything that is opposed to God that does not seek to live in obedience to God is the world. It even includes sin in us, within us, our battle, our struggles, the fight to put to death the things of the flesh, the battle that wages within us. As we just sang a little bit ago of singing about the glories of all that day when free from sinning, that we look forward to that day. We as born again followers of God have overcome these things. We are victorious over them. Just let that truth sink into your hearts and your minds. Hear the reality of what verse four is saying. Be encouraged. Those born of God are victorious. They have overcome the world. They have defeated it. Everything that is against God, they have overcome. You're not gonna see that truth and reality taught anywhere outside of God's word. That's why it's just hard for us to really 
hear that and receive that and see the implications of that in our lives because it doesn't look like that's the case. That doesn't look true. It doesn't look true that we, as we believe in God and are born of God, that we have overcome the world and everything that is set out against. Rather, it seems like the world is winning and it seems like believers are defeated. And it seems like we have trouble and we fight against sin in our lives and all these things happen against us and we just look at it with our eyes. It says, that's hard to believe. That's just another biblical thing. Yeah, let's move on to the next thing. We've overcome. Yep, that's great. What's next? But the truth and the reality of who we are in Christ and what that means in our lives. Those born of God, they not only overcome, they overcome the world through faith. He states there, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We must make something crystal clear here. Faith in and of itself has never overcome anything. Faith in and of itself has never saved anybody. Faith in and of itself is always, uh, it's never overcome anything. Faith is simply the means by which we receive the victory Jesus has won because faith is only as good as the object of your faith. Faith is only as good as the thing or the person that you have faith in. This is clearly under understanding of the verse for verse five points us uh, to that reality and points us to the person of work of Jesus Christ. Look at what verse five says. It says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? So there it is. The content of our faith is Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he is who he says he is according to the scripture. And it is that faith, faith in that Jesus that gives us the victory. Our faith is in Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus as the son of God who came to die on the cross for our sins. That is the faith that overcomes the world. Jesus has conquered and we conquer with him. We conquer through him. Paul speaks about this same reality in Romans 8 after asking that if God is for us, who can be against us? And what can separate us from the love of God? What can, what can separate us from him and what he has done and the love of Christ? Well, Romans 8, 37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors, same word being used here, except more than, we're super conquerors. We're conquerors, conquerors. We're not only conquerors, we're super conquerors. That is, we're victorious, victorious, all caps victorious through him, through the one who has loved us. That's the truth of those who are believing in Jesus. We are overcomers, we are victorious, and we will be victorious because of what Jesus has done. And we receive that through faith beautiful biblical word and biblical concept, receiving not by works, not by doing this and then we receive it. No, we receive it simply by believing. Believing, faith, faith, faith in the object and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, faith is believing. Faith just means you hear the promise of Jesus 
and you believe what God says. Faith just means you believe the word of God. Just means you believe it, you, you trust it, you receive it. You said, that is true, I believe it. God's word says that my sins will be forgiven if I trust and believe in Jesus Christ. God's word says everyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will be raised on the last day. You have life within you by believing in the body, the blood, the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross in your place. You believe that. It's believing the content of what Jesus is and we conquer isn't that so of God that we see in the scripture? We conquer by doing nothing but believing in Jesus because he is the one who has done it all. So I simply hold it out, believe the promise of God. Simply believe. I find that a struggle, a constant struggle in my life. Maybe you do too. That constantly, you gotta mow that lawn, you gotta cut that grass because that grass of works just grows like a weed. If you're wanting to do something to be forgiven of your sins and to do something to, to receive forgiveness of sins, it's, it's that reality that we see in, in, in everyday life and that's proper and good, you receive for what you do. But when it comes to God and when it comes to, you gotta mow that stuff down because we're only saved by believing the promise of God. And our overcoming, we don't need to, we, we're out of time and we don't, but our overcoming, we have to realize, does not mean that we're not gonna have trouble in this life. That's a false content to those that say you believe in Jesus, you have faith in him, you will overcome. And they, they take the Nike version of that word there, overcome, the KO, Nike, it's where they get it from. It means victory, it means overcome. And they say, I'm just gonna wear the Christian Nike in my life and I'm gonna, I'm gonna overcome and I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And I'm gonna receive the victory, I won't fail, I'm not gonna get sick, bad things aren't gonna happen to me because I'm living the victorious Christian life. No, that's not what God's word says. Overcoming does not mean that we will not face trouble, difficulty, sickness, Sorrow, grief, depression, anxieties, worry, despair, regret, unhappiness, debilitating disease, chronic pain, even death itself. For crying out loud, just read the Bible. See what happens to people who follow Jesus and what they face in their life. People got sawn in two. They have overcome because they've received the kingdom that God has promised to them. It's not the things in this world that life will be easy. God's word calls us to see something else, to see beyond this life and the victory that God's word offers us is through the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. It does mean we will ultimately overcome all these things through faith in Jesus because there is a world to come. There is life after death. And in year 2,478,951 in the future, we're gonna look back on the things of this life like that and it's gonna be a proper perspective on it. We have difficulty doing that now. I guarantee you, give it a couple million years and we'll have a better perspective. 
right? We're going to be made new. We're going to be made like God. We're going to have a different perspective. We'll be living in the fullness of the promises of God. But the point of God's word now in our reality is to help us see those things, to believe those things. How do we do that? Faith, faith, believe the promise of God. Revelation 2, 7, John writes there, he uses this word conquer over and over with the seven churches. It says, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The one who conquers, who endures, who overcomes. Do you believe the promise of Jesus? As John states in this passage, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ and what that means? Do you love God and seek to obey his commandments? Then rest assured, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith in the person and the work of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks truths and realities that are quite frankly hard for us in our sinful fallen state to see and to be impacted on down to the bone in our lives. But Father, we pray that by your spirit that you would do that work within us, that you would call us to faith in Jesus Father, forgive us when our faith is weak, when we stray. Would your word call us back to obedience to you? Your word call us back to see what it means to truly love you is to walk in obedience to your commandments. If there's anyone Father, who's not believing in your promise to save through Jesus Christ. Lord, would you give them spiritual life, we pray. Cause them to see you, to love you, to want to believe in you, and to trust in you to forgive them of their sins. Father, would you help us all, we pray, to live a life of faith, of trusting in you, of receiving your promise. Strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.